Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's sermon comes from the gospel lesson that we just read, one of the very familiar passages from Luke's gospel, the healing of the ten and the return of the one. But let's be honest, right? We're all wondering, how do you answer the question, where are the other nine? Usually we read this Bible passage on Thanksgiving Day. It's a familiar one because obviously the point is what? What's the point? Be thankful. Thank you. Right? We ought to be thankful. Well, Cicero once said a long, long time ago that gratitude is the greatest virtue and the parent of them all. You don't have to be a Christian to know you ought to be giving thanks. What are the magic words, kids? Please and thank you, right? Yeah, but I think the appearance of these ten lepers and their interaction with Jesus goes way deeper than just a lesson to get us to say thanks to God. It's really a lesson of faith. A lesson where we can go deeper with understanding who Jesus is and why we would return to him and give him thanks. Faith alone is a very important theme within the Lutheran Church. It's one of the solas, sola fide. Faith alone, together with scripture alone and grace alone and Christ alone, they are the pillars of the Reformation faith. They are the, well, we're going to hear it next week, kind of the core message, right, of the Christian. It's not by our works. Martin Luther remembered or saw again for a, a new, in a new way. It's not our works, but it's Christ and his works on the cross for us. And it's our faith alone that grasps a hold of Jesus and holds on to him and clings to him that saves. Indeed, faith alone. So we're not surprised that today, after last week's lesson, right, where we learned that faith, even when it's small, like a mustard seed, can do amazing things, that the amazing thing about faith is it belongs to you. It's your faith. It's something that God creates in you. A gift of the Holy Spirit to cling to Jesus, to God, even when things don't appear what they seem to be. Lepers and a border and a desert area where maybe not many people lived. We can imagine what's going on in 
Luke's interest in what's happening, himself maybe feeling a little foreign to the rest of the Jewish church. And obviously the healing that's going on. Wow, Jesus, the great physician. But this concept of the leper, worse than the walking zombies that are a lot of popular imagination today that seem to just wander about aimlessly and don't really interact with people, these lepers were real people with real families, maybe real spouses and real jobs and maybe even children that they had to abandon and leave because of their condition, right? Their illness, their sickness was not just a separation of you got to go to the hospital, but you can't even associate with anyone anymore. They actually had to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean coming through, so that people would know, oh, we better avoid them. We better get out of their way. Imagine their own identity. Who are we? The walking dead. The rejected by all. The rejected of God. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to draw the connections that they might have been feeling. With their relationship with God. How can we live under God in our condition. Where is God in my life now? What's happening to me? A month ago, I shared a story with you about a young woman in our school that I served at. She lost her brother, a young man, in a motorcycle accident. I told you about how I was part of a team of teachers, Christian teachers from our school that went to visit that family and the amazing things I learned about the local culture where they had to actually put on their storefront a sign to say, don't come in. We've got bad, it didn't really say it this way, but technically it meant we've got bad luck. And if you come into our store, you might, it might rub off. So, kind of like the lepers, unclean, unclean. And no one, not their family or relatives or neighbors, could come and visit them. And so it was quite a shock for us to actually go into their home and sit down at their table and receive from them a drink of water, some fruit, their kind hospitality, and to share with them that God had not abandoned them, that God loved them. I think I even told you about how one of my daughters encouraged me to think about, well, maybe God could give them another son. And how I felt about that. That's kind of hard. They're already way past the age of having children. 
They can never have. In my mind, I was, they can never have another child. I don't think I told you, though, why I was bold enough to actually share that with them. That my daughter had said, well, maybe God can give you another son. Obviously not a son to replace the one you lost, but a son, a daughter, someone that can replace the emptiness in your heart. It was years, 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 years ago that I met a man, and his name was Edgar. He was a pastor, 94 years old when I met him. And he had a fire in him that was unstoppable and a joy in his spirit that was contagious. Uh, I was a young seminarian student, and uh, he invited me to come to the nursing home where he would have a service every Sunday for all the, his, the people that lived in the same nursing home where he lived. And uh, I can't actually remember what I talked about, but I remember this about Edgar. Yes, even when it seems God is saying no, there is a yes in God we cling to. Why? Because Edgar was married to a woman named Dora. And Dora was a sweet woman, an amazing wife who served alongside him for years and years in their ministry together. But she developed Alzheimer's. It's kind of a sad disease. A lot of times people get left just kind of mentally not there, not even recognizing their dear loved ones. The unfortunate thing was Dora knew exactly who Edgar was, and her personality changed. And the moment he stepped into the room where she was resting, she would not stop cursing and swearing and hitting him. It was hard to watch how a disease like that can affect you and just destroy everything that you knew and loved. And yet, he went into her room every day, not looking at what he was seeing or what he was hearing, but believing that God was present with him and his wife. They never had any children, Dora and Edgar, and yet they had more children than I could have ever imagined. In fact, he told me that one of the children from the Sunday school that she so faithfully served throughout the years was the one that paid for the private room that she got until she died. That story, that rubbing off of his faith in holding on to God in spite of what you see. Yeah, yeah, maybe God will wants to give you something 
that will replace everything that you've lost. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God that we cling to even when it seems that he's saying no. Can you imagine this scenario of Ruth, Ruth and Naomi? And she's saying, girls, go back. Go away from me. God, can't you see God has cursed me? Why would you stick around with me anymore? I know I don't have a husband. Even if I had a husband tonight and I had a son tonight, would you wait until he's old enough to be your husband? I have nothing to give you. But what did Ruth do? She clung to her. She clung to Naomi and said, don't send me away. She knew something. She knew the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who raises the dead, who gives us blessing in the midst of hardship and grace that covers all of the difficulties we face in life. And we face a few difficulties. I don't think any of you have Hansen's disease. That's what it's called now, leprosy. It's not me. I didn't start it. Okay. Hansen's disease. We gave it a proper name now. And there are proper medical treatments for it. Still very uh, serious illness. And there are many other illnesses. Alzheimer's is just one. People are battling all kinds of injuries and illnesses every day. The hospital's full of them. Right? And yet God is still present. He's still a part of our life. And we just need to hold on to him even when it looks like he's saying no. Because that's what faith is. Trusting his promise. And what is his promise? That he comes to save. You know, what's amazing about this Samaritan that comes back with a loud voice. I mean, he was crying out, Master, have mercy. Can you imagine his hallelujah now? Maybe they deserved it, but I'm a foreigner, and yet I get it too? Hallelujah. Where's Chris? Chris isn't here today. <laughs> hallelujah. Right? God be praised. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And what does Jesus tell him? Get up. Get up and go. Your faith has saved you. Amazing. Has saved us. Has delivered us. From God's no into God's yes. Why can Jesus say that? Because he knows that's where he's going. He's embracing the totality of God's no, the cross, the death of the sinner, the criminal on the cross, the rejection of the Father for you and me, that we would not only be healed, but that we would be saved that we would be restored and given a life 
overflowing with thanksgiving to God. That our lives, whether we're in chains like Paul because of preaching, we see God at work and his word unbound. Or like Ruth who clung to Naomi knowing that God's blessing is true and I am not turning away from what I have found in you. Yes. Yes. God's yes is what we cling to. It's our faith and our trust in him. Amen. Congregation will now rise as we confess our common Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed.